Hello and welcome to the Behind the Artist podcast with Park West Gallery. I'm Gallery Director Morris Shapiro. If you'd like to view works of the artists I'm interviewing and learn more about them, please visit our podcast site with links to more content at parkwestgallery.com forward slash podcast. International art dealer Park West Gallery is proud to present our new podcast series, Behind the Artist. Each episode will be talking to popular contemporary artists to learn the stories and inspiration behind their extraordinary artwork and fascinating careers. The chance to sit down with a group of world-class artists all in one place at one time and go deep in conversation is one of the perks of my job that makes me sometimes pinch myself. Can you imagine how cool it would be to have the artist Dwev, Scott Jacobs, Tim Yankee and Patrick Guyton all together and go deep into their lives, experiences, and artwork? Well, imagine no more, because this is Behind the Artist, and this is the Artist's Round Table. In this segment, the gents discuss topics as diverse as the form versus content distinction, comparing their creative processes, knowing when a work of art is finished, and even a discussion on taking commissions, which will no doubt surprise you, so buckle up. This is Behind the Artist. It's no frills, just real and deep conversation. I'm Maura Shapiro, and I hope you enjoy this journey into the life and art of four of the world's most successful contemporary artists. So guys, thanks for being here. This is really exciting for me to have a chance to talk to all four of you together in one place. I've had a lot of topics in my mind. I've been thinking about you know, what would be cool for us to talk about, and we can all provide our take on it. And the first thing I was thinking about was the whole idea of content, because you guys, obviously, you're, you're world-class artists, you're very successful artists, you, you, you're fully developed and mature in your art, so you have had to focus so primarily on form for you to be able to become as successful as you have become. By form, I'm talking about the, the mechanics of making your art, you know, dealing with the composition and the materials and mastering all the, all the elements that you have to master. So I'm presuming that most of your concentration when you're making your art is about form and about bringing the art into existence. But I'm curious about each of your takes on content, on the meaning of your paintings, what you think they're saying, what you're trying to, to say with them. I think, Tim, it might be fun to start with you first, because I think your work probably has, particularly in your abstract work, it probably has some of the most challenging content for people to perceive, to get to, you know, to understand what you're doing. So how conscious are you of the content when you're working on it? See, that's interesting that you say that the perceived content from the viewer is maybe hard for them to find out where I'm heading. I think it just comes naturally for me because I'm painting with emotion and spirit and the content spills out onto the canvas as I go along, relying on spontaneity. I think of you, Scott, of how challenging that must be because it's so content-driven that it's, it's composition's got to be right. The details that you have to perform have to be dead on. There's no, there's no very, I mean, no room for error. So when I think of you guys having to create that content, I think, wow, that's half your job right there. That's got to be exhausting because how do I do it? I have to create a theme. I think I have it on 
I, it's, it's easy street for me. I, you know, I start with music and I start with a color and all of a sudden that content evolves. It comes from within and it just spills out onto the page. Which, so it's emotional driven, it's spiritual yeah, driven. I was gonna say, when you say your content is pretty much instinctual, it's just kind of coming out as you're creating it? Extremely organic. It's not even harvested. It's a result of something that's, of an application. Mm -hmm. Now, when there's content involved, like a dragonfly or headdress, yeah, obviously there's, there's a point of destination that I have in my mind, but in regards to how I'm going to get there, the variety and the avenues change. It is often where I'm thinking about an abstract will come to my head and I'm thinking, all right, I, deep blues, purples, I really see something here, and then I'll go paint it. But on the back, I want maybe some brilliant orange or colors to come through. So I'll start with the, what I'm laying down, the base colors. Next thing you know, I don't even reach the deep blues. This this painting goes into a life of its own. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I never even applied the blue or the purple that I intended to do. Uh -huh. So I got so sidetracked, or maybe I, I took a different train. I knew what destination was, I knew what train to get on. But when I started to get on that train, I was on a totally different train, and I ended up someplace totally different. And I'm thinking, wow, that's invigorating. Yeah. Well, Scott, I think you probably have the most dialed-in sense of content when you're creating your paintings because exactly. you've got to have everything perfectly calculated, you know. And yeah. So you, definitely. I think, for you, you know, this is just my opinion. It seems to me that for you, it's more a matter of choosing the subjects. You know, the subject, so, yeah. of course, yeah. is uh, a lot of them are just from experiences in life, you know, and things that I want to portray or, you know, look back on 10 years from now in, in a canvas, something I experienced, whether it's a motorcycle scene that I had one of my daughters be a part of, uh, where we pulled over on the side of the road and she pulled out her mascara and, you know, touched up her makeup in the mirror. Um, I always know at the beginning of the painting where I'm going. When the train leaves the station, I know its destination yeah. down the road there. Yeah. I know where I'm going with it. And it's uh, like Tim, you know, he can think, I mean, your, your, your painting evolves and you probably don't know. You've got your idea to get you started, but you don't really know where you're going to end up until you're done with it. You mm -hmm. sign your name. Where mine, I, I pretty much know where I'm going with it, but I will make changes uh, especially if I'm doing a wine piece and I want to change the light or the way a reflection is because I don't like the, the reflection in my, in my research. Mm -hmm. So I try to improve on that. I try to put things in the reflection so people say, oh my God, look at that. And that's a, a sunset reflected in the chrome, but doesn't mean it necessarily was, was there, there in my photo reference. Right. Um, I, I use my, my reference as just a guide to get me started. Mm -hmm. And wow. I'm not trying to duplicate a photograph. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to improve on that. I'm trying to make it more desirable to look at Interesting. as a collector. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I never knew that. I thought you made a photograph and you get the photograph like perfect in terms of exactly what you want and then you just replicate no, the no, photograph. No, yeah. no. So there's you a saw, lot of spontaneity in your, in your paintings as well. But one of these times, you know, actually I think it'd be interesting for you to see a lot of my photo reference that I've used over the last say 40 years of my career and compare them to the and things. look at yeah. the finished painting yeah. compared to the photograph uh -huh. I'd love to do that a lot of yeah. times they're totally yeah. different yeah. the colors are totally different uh -huh. yeah. you know, like in your, your last painting the two bottles of wine yeah it's mm -hmm. exactly what you say exactly yeah, yeah. that was a it's a diptych that we showed uh, at this event it was two paintings what were they like 30 by 30 30 by 30 yeah and they were put together yeah. two uh, bottles of wine pouring into two glasses one white and one red it was a well that would be painting. a perfect example because yeah. the the photo reference I had on the bottles, the light filters through the white bottle a lot more because of the lighter fluid. Mm -hmm. And on the left bottle in that painting, pouring into the painting, there was a really bright yellow spot on the neck of the bottle. 
And so I painted what I saw in the photo reference. But then when it was done, my eye, all it did was go left. It went to that bright yellow spot. Mm -hmm. So I changed that whole feeling there. Yeah. Duove, I know that you said before that sometimes you don't even know what you're going to paint until you start painting it. Yeah, I, I like to don't have an idea because it's a little bit as you, you, you do. You, you go, you, don't, you have sometimes a subject, but you don't mm -hmm. know what will be the end. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so it's uh, like an abstract painting. That's why I love the abstract. Um, and you never use photographs or anything. No, you just no, remember. No, all the I don't locations. like to have a photograph because I, I want to do the same. So see, if I see a photograph, it's blue. The sky is blue. So the sky is blue. So I will do a blue sky. Uh -huh. And if I want to, to do a red, uh, or I feel it's better in red. Uh, then you make a red sky. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's interesting too. Um, do you do drawings ahead of time, preliminary drawings or studies for your No, paintings? no, before I, I, I study, but now I don't like to, to, to draw. Yeah. I prefer to, to put directly my, my oil on the canvas. I think uh, the only person that draws, I guess, on canvas then is going to be you, Scott, because, Pat, I know you can't draw on, on, on a, one of your pieces. Once you treat that surface with the, mm -hmm. with the leaf, you got to go right in there with a the brush. <clears throat> That's got to be really not only intimidating, but <laughs> very challenging. Yeah. It's a, it's a zero point of contact kind of a thing unless you make, a, like I was telling you before, it's a, you know, a dedicated stroke of the brush where you're just literally applying the paint, you know, like what to do with, you know, palette knife and you just attack it and you start going. But, um, but then there's other times like with um, some of the veil faces or some of the um, figurative work where I can get, I can get paint, a base paint down where the skin tones or where the face or where the hands or something is, and then I can go in and I can do pencil work on top of that and prep, oh, okay. prep everything yeah. once there's once the there's base established. Yeah, yeah. 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 uh-huh. Yeah. So what about subject now, back to the idea of content in your work? You know, people love to, to look at particularly the figurative pieces because they're so romantic, yeah. and then the other ones that have the Asian spirit to them. Yeah. Is that something that you just sort of emerged in your, your, your career? Is it well, something you set out to do? I think content is one of the things that kept that the look, the dynasty periods or prior, that the content is what kept it so isolated to the culture or the society because most people, other people would look at that and they don't really know what they're viewing. They don't, they can't explain the scene because it was more of something being documented or something that was um, some sort of uh, showing of a war scene or a marriage or, a, you know, what have you. Mm -hmm. So to be able to take the substrate that it was involved with and, and kind of reinvigorate it with content that was palatable to to more than just a singular culture is mm -hmm. kind of where that came from but so you're thinking in broad terms yeah trying to broad broad range of appeal yeah it's kind of where it's because for me i'd rather try to, to to relay an emotion from the final content but that's something that's kind of like when you place content you don't know what it's going to do you can have an idea but I think in every case, it's going to end up steering itself. It's going to drive its own ship. And it's almost like, you know, you have a child and you could have all these wonderful dreams and hopes for that child, you know, but then you still have to let the child develop and their own personality starts to come through. And one of my favorite things in doing, especially like figurative work, is I can plan that and can see where I, what I kind of want it to be molding and shaping. But then as the piece becomes the personality itself starts to reemerge and then you have to adjust yourself to 
to match the personality of what is of what's emitting rather than what you're putting into it you're, it's it's a response creativity rather than purpose driven to a to a final destination yeah, interesting so what i'm gathering here is that all of you are kind of coming back to the same point you know the, the paintings are telling you what direction you're going to go in no matter how focused you are on a pre-planned idea the painting is that's exactly right and when you were saying that I yeah. thought that it all of a sudden it starts you begin dictating what's going on <laughs> next thing you know the painting takes on a life of its own and you're reacting to the painting you're no longer in charge for some reason. <laughs> it's now dictating you right yeah. well, how many of those old the masterworks since the technology has advanced so much how many masterworks have been x-rayed and scanned and, and they yeah. see the actual initial right. renderings mm -hmm. and how they were covered up mm -hmm. or something added in or something right. taken out and you know you, yeah. you just you have to let it become yeah 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 there's a term called petimenti which means the image that's still being seen underneath an image where you can still see where the artist was going you know mm -hmm. sometimes people artists leave them intentionally exposed Rembrandt would sometimes uh, take a plate and start working on it and stop and turn it upside down and start over again he'd leave the bottom etching it so people could see it. There's an image of a, a virgin in the clouds and uh, you flip it over and there's a little face up in the cloud. Mm. <laughs> Pretty cool. Yeah. Picasso did that often as well. Well that's interesting. Um, a question that's kind of cliched but I think it's, it's a good one to cover and that is the whole notion of when you know the painting's finished. You know, Matisse famously said that a painting is never finished, it just stops at a good place. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a challenging thing. You know, Tarkai, he would say that uh, he knew the painting was finished when his wife told him it was finished because she wanted him to sign the paper. Time to eat. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> okay, it's done. <laughs> He'd say, no, it's not done. She'd say, yes, it's done. We need, the pay we need a check. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so comment on that. Start, start with you, Duev. When do you know? Because, you know, your paintings are so colorful and there's so it, much energy in them. For me, a painting is never finished. Because if, if I don't finish for example, at night the painting, I sign the painting, but if I don't sign the painting to the next day, I will do another painting on the top of that. Because, <laughs> yeah. I, no, yesterday was yesterday. Right. It was an energy, I was in that mood. Today, is, I am in a good mood, bad mood, I don't know. And it will be another painting. Mm -hmm. So you have to say, okay, now it's time to, to, to sign. Yeah, when you're working on a painting in the same day, for example, do you take areas of the painting and just paint them out and start over again? If you change it so much that you take a whole section of a painting and paint it out, no, no, the with the knife, you just go it, it, from start to finish. It's better to, to, to how you say, fresh. Keep it fresh? No, yeah, the painting is, is, is wet. Wet, yeah. Uh -huh. If it's dry, it's difficult to, you have to start dry. again. Uh -huh. uh, and that doesn't help you technically. Uh -huh. technically yeah. mm -hmm. And Scott, I'm curious about you know, your work in particular because, you know, again, your, your work has such a precise you know, characteristic to it. You have to sustain probably more of it than any of us. Well, Pat, you're probably, in many cases too, like the painting that you just sold this weekend called Requiem that took you hundreds of hours probably to, to do. But Scott, almost every painting you do is like, you know, tremendous amount of time involved in it to get from point A to point B. I usually call it done when all the numbers are covered up. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, you know, it's, it, as a photorealist, um, it's a tough one, you know, because I can keep going back and adding more and more detail if I want to. I can, yeah. I can make it look as close to a photograph as possible, but the, um, the challenge that I've had in my art career is to try to to step away from that a little bit, make them look photorealistic, but 
more painterly at the yeah. same time. Yeah. I've seen that in your work, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. I have some yeah. that are super, super hyper-realism, mm-hmm. and then there's other ones where the background, you, I deliberately leave strokes there and things mm-hmm. like that and, and really soften the edges, and sometimes they're hard edges and things like that. Sometimes the backgrounds are selected focus and everything in the foreground is super tight. Right. As far as when are they done, you know, sometimes I'm on a deadline, Mm-hmm. And I get it to a certain point, and I was like, okay, I've got three more hours. Where am I going to put that focus? Okay, this is done. I'm signing, and it's got to go, you know, kind of thing. But um, if I took every painting I've painted in my entire career, and if it was back on my easel, I'd probably work on it more and add more to it. And you probably do the same thing. I mean, there's so much more you could add to it. So, Pat, when you look at one of your paintings, you walk into one of our, our shows and you look at your paintings, do you feel that you want to, would like to do more work on them? No, I just feel exhausted looking at all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I see five at a time, and then when I get in a room of 40 of them, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I can't believe I did all this. I'm just tired. But, no, it's, it's um, I don't know, I, I start in a wave and I kind of work around a piece, and by the time I get to the place where I assume I'll end... If I feel good there, I, I'll stop there, but, but you could paint a painting forever. I, don't, I think you could literally have an open-ended painting that you could work on every day the rest of your life, and then you died, you'd probably still need someone to finish it for you. you know? It would say work in progress. Work in progress, <laughs> yeah. And I think one of the greatest things ever was uh, a deadline. Is A deadline pushes you to that place where you have to be, you can't second-guess your creativity, you have to just dive in finish the piece and you move have on. to move on yeah and there's uh there's always something you can do there's always something you can change and it's just you know time sometimes dictates, dictates the uh-huh. end of a painting interesting so tim i'm really curious about your, your take i'm telling question. you i think of you guys and i you're right you because you could if you relied on the wow factor People love the wow factor, like, wow, he's got every feather, every whisker, every detail involved. You could hyperly over-detail that painting, right? And, and then you get that response of people saying, wow, that's insane. But you as a painter want to peel that back a little bit and say, I, don't, I want to get rid of a lot of the detail. I want it to be painterly. Pino, what an incredible example. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. leaves negative space. He's got drips. Yeah. And the focal points look like a photo, mm-hmm. and you know it's painted. Mm-hmm. And, and that is just beautiful. Yeah. So I think it's tough for you guys to sit there and really say, wow, it's done. To me, I, I wish I had a better answer. When it's just visually hitting on all cylinders, mm-hmm. and, I, at the, and it's there compositionally, and it's got flow, it's got movement, it looks like it's music, mm-hmm. it looks like it's playing, I, I step back and I say, I, I, I nailed it. It's after the fact that I know these paintings are done. We talked about this the other day. There hasn't been an event or a cruise that I went on where I walked in saying, oh, I, I really, I missed that. Every painting I look at, I'm good with it. I, I, mm-hmm. It's done. So I guess it, the measuring stick for me is, you know, when I see it again in a month, in a month framed up, you know, at an event, and if, if I feel like I need to change something, then I wasn't done. So far, you know, I'm batting a thousand. I think they're all done. So I sign it, and I'm good. You guys, it's gonna, you got to be tearing your hair out because you could keep going. Well, do you struggle at all with overworking your work, overworking a painting? Did it take you a while to get to the point where you knew when to stop before you overworked it? Because there is such a thing as overworking a painting. Completely. I throw mm-hmm. them away. Mm-hmm. Do you? Yeah. I, I, my dad used to always. Uh, they used to laugh about um, 
the saying, torture it until it confesses to be art. Wow. Which is, you know, work that thing until it, 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 it arrives. Uh-huh. And I think sometimes the only way, when I get affixed in something where I'm just making mud over and over and I Bingo. keep trying and trying and this and I try that and I try this, eventually I know that time will serve me best by destroying it folding it in half, hitting it with the hammer, throwing it across the room, something, <laughs> walking it to the dumpster, and then starting fresh and just trying, you know, one a, a brand new approach to Pat, it. Pat, I'm the same way. Uh, I'll slice it in half yeah. or just destroy it because it totally overtook me. It owns yeah. me. And then it's just, I'm in a bad space with it. Yeah. You know, there's a weird juju about this painting that I don't want to be involved with anymore. <laughs> so before I even overthink it and say, well, how about if I just jesso over it and start over? No. The soul and the essence of that painting is still somewhere in it. So before I even think about it, I get the scissors, cut it in half, and now it's off to the dumpster. So hey, with the old Potter's phrase for some clay clay. that just won't take a shape is unruly clay. There you go. And the once they realize they have unruly clay, there's no sense in working it. It will never hold a shape. How much work do you destroy? For me, none. None. Yeah. No, you, you know, if, if, I, if I get to a point with a painting and I'm having a problem or it's not going in the direction I want it to, I, you know, Neil, my friend who's sitting here, actually knows what I'm talking about. There's 50, 60 paintings of mine in different stages of completion. In it's the studio. In the studio. Yeah. And there's one in particular, believe it or not, is 30 years it's been in there. Wow. It's a uh, Corvette piece that I, I can't say I did because it's not finished. But I, I have not figured out what I want to do with the foreground and the background. The cars are done, and there's going to be that day where like, oh my God, I know exactly what to do. I'm going to pull it out, and I'm going to finish it. But I've never, I've never really destroyed anything I've ever done. I've come back to it with a, a, new, um, a new attitude towards it. You know? And a lot of times it's years mm. before I do that. Because I'll flip through the rack, and they're all lined up there, pieces that are you know, in, in progress. And... Like, you know, I'm into this one now. I'm going to pull it out and I'll finish it. You know, mm-hmm. so as far as throwing them out, I, I have not done that. Mm-hmm. Do have you ever destroyed a painting? At the beginning, yes, but now, no. No. no because if a painting doesn't work, I, I wait a little bit and I come back. I find a new color. I find a new technique. I find something. He helped me. Mm-hmm. So, so it's my way. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah. You come back with because a new set of Because we have to understand eyes. something and, and you learn. Yep. You learn something mm-hmm. and, and waiting is mm-hmm. sometimes is good. See, the three of you have that situation. I can't remember the last time I had a painting go into the next day. I, the essence and the spirit, that bird has flown. I never let it sit overnight and then go back because I don't know how to get back into that zone there where I was there. You know, I relied on so many things that I subconsciously adhered to to get to that point and to stop and turn off the lights and set the alarm and go home and come back to it and finish it up I don't know how that I could put that back together uh, so if it's got to be done and if it takes it me until three I, I really do you don't have the time I mean unless your day is 400 hours I long. wish I could do one of the day <laughs> exactly right <laughs> and, and, and you too so if you get back to it you can pick up where you left off you really could I'd tear my hair out trying to figure that out to you know wow, how would I get back into this zone to finish this painting? So I, I have to finish it. Maybe that's why I destroy more, uh, because there's no way I'm going to 
let this thing carry into my evening or the night or whatever and try to match it the next day. Mm -hmm. I couldn't get on that same vibe. Mm -hmm. That flow, that, that whole flow is gone. Describe for me um, your feelings when you uh, show your work to people and they respond so positively to it and want to collect it and want to embrace it and in many cases pay significant amounts of money for it. I know that must be a really rewarding experience for all of you, but what can you share about that? Is that something, I know it's something that you guys, you have to love because it's validation of all your hard work and the sacrifices you've made, but I'm, I'd just be curious as to each of your takes on what that experience is like uh, for you. It's mind-blowing that somebody will get so emotionally attached to something that you did, and I think it's beautiful. You've had it before where they come up crying, and whatever it is about this painting, I love it, or it reminds me of my mother or whatever, or the colors that you, or I don't know what it is, I just have to have it, or, and they're so moved by it. It's awkward to me though, because I don't take compliments well. I'd rather just redirect any kind of attention to something else, you know what I mean? I just, I'm just a painter, and I sometimes I go and tell Nikki, like, wow, these people are so moved, or they fell in love with this painting, or I can't believe, you know, that sold for that much, and it's so cool that people adhere themselves to your work. You know what I mean? It, it, it's a byproduct of something we do that we love, and yet, man, it hits hard to these people, like writing a song, and they're all singing along to it, you know, at a concert or whatever, and they're putting this art in their homes. You know, they're putting it on their walls, and I just think that is really, really cool. But it, I feel uncomfortable because I don't know how to handle it. I don't think, I'm not that great. You know, you're, you're telling me that my art was great and wow, you're a great person. Uh, I don't feel like I'm a good painter. I don't feel like I'm a, a great artist. I feel like I do something well that I love and I rely on my passion more than my chops to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and so to get accolades and receive accolades like that, it's, um, I, I need to get better about it. Mm -hmm. I really do because I'm getting better, my techniques are getting better, my, my colors are getting brighter, they're collecting more, and uh, it's, it's going to continue and I need to figure out how to handle this better. Because <laughs> I, I just, I don't like the attention, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, right. I know, I mean, with my crazy shirts and everything else, you know, and, and it, it, it looks like I'm seeking for the attention, but I really, once you get it, then you don't want it, yeah. kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Like, just would enjoy the painting, you know? It's, it's your passion, though, that comes through in your work. And that's what, it's not necessarily maybe how much detail a piece has, but you're, you're very passionate about your work, the way you talk about your work. People connect with that. They, they, they fall in love with you. They fall in love with your passion for what is on that canvas. And it's a, they make a connection with you, whether they're having dinner with you or lunch with you, and they just want to have you in their house on the wall. You know, so it's 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 a lot more than just what's on that canvas. It's that experience. No, you're right. You're right. It, you know, they're, it's PCU. Yeah, yeah, you're their chum now. You know, your buddies or yeah. whatever, and it's, it's it's a slice of you. And, and I think we all experience that. Well, like that music thing that you just said a second ago, and I've said that at a couple of my intros, where it's like you know being a famous musician, and you've had a whole bunch of hits in the past. So you've got all these great paintings that you've done in the past, and people have connected with, and now you've got an easels full of your new paintings behind you. Are people going to sing along yep. with these new songs yep. that you've, yep. you know, you've written back here? You don't know, mm. you know, because that the the past performance doesn't mean that your future performance is going to be as successful. And uh, for me, I don't know about you guys, 
but uh, I, I'm nervous when I get out there. You know, I, I try. I think outside the box. I try new things all the time. I don't know what people are going to like. Right. I have no idea. You know, you spend 300 hours, 500 hours on the painting. You put it up in the easel. Is somebody going to buy it? Yep. You know, is it going to be worth you spend, you know, spending two months on a painting or not? I have no idea. There's it's, a great sense of vulnerability, isn't there? You know, yeah. you hear this with musicians all the time. What was the hardest? Well, after we made a, a, a hit single or a number one hit, now everybody expects you, you know, well, where's the next number one hit? Yeah. You know, wow. We don't know where we pulled that out of. We just, we were, it was just our passion to play that. Well, now we're expecting you when we sign a contract, you make more hits now. Well, we don't want to be one hit wonders, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, I've gotten up on stage, and I don't know about you guys, have you done it? I, if you were there, you probably would. I've gotten teary-eyed. You guys have brought me up when I've sold paintings, you know, up over $200,000 for a painting. And I remember the caveman painting. You guys brought me up on stage to talk about the sale, and I couldn't talk. I was so emotional. I think all of you guys have the same experience, meaning that when you come to the show and you show your work, no matter how successful you have been over all the decades that you've been working, yep. you still wonder, are they still going to like my work? Is they still going to go for it? Are they still going to buy it, right? Yep. Thumbs up, thumbs down, exactly, mm -hmm. you know? And we as dealers, we don't worry about it because we know they're going to like it. <laughs> what, what <laughs> we is, know uh, they are, you know? What was uh, Michelangelo when he brought the Pieta into St. Peter's? at night with a gang of guys with nobody looking set it up and then came back the days after and stood behind pillars to give an ear to hear what people, people were saying say, about it yeah yeah that's yeah. pretty that's kind of how it feels like sometimes where yeah. you just want to go set it up and then you just want to fly on the wall and just see what the response that's what we should are. put in the new pieces we should put a little bug in there <laughs> just right. so when that preview people walking yeah. around you can yeah. hear the comment because yeah that's why I, I wondered, I, I used to paint under the name Escotite because I wanted people's honest opinion. Mm. And that's what we need. We don't want people yep. telling us they love everything. Yep. You yep. really need their honest yep. opinion. Right. Do you like this direction? Do you like what we're doing? You need to tell us. And we'll never get a fair assessment of that. You know, they never no, will tell us. Not. You know what I mean? No. No. I, They're going to tell you what they think you want to hear. Of course. So we don't know what to digest. <laughs> Wait, you know, I would love to know that. Escotite? Escotite. <laughs> why it happens and mm -hmm. what I have to give to people. And, and I found, know what I, lo I love, what, what they need. I think I can give them an energy. Mm -hmm. I am able to give them. And after that, Whatever happens, it happens. Mm -hmm. it happens. So, yeah. so, so, uh -huh. so I don't care about what I, if they, they, if they will like or not. It has to happen, it will happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, nice perspective. So, uh, I feel yeah. no free because you are never free, but. Yeah. Right, right. It is what it like is. Like in the river. Well, we should rely on that more, or at least I should, because, more, you're right. You're the ones that have to sell it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, how many times were you've seen that painting come up a few events now, mm -hmm. and you're thinking, well, you know, maybe I didn't hit that note, you know, on that painting and you're tired of seeing it, or you're ready to maybe decommission it. There was a painting a few 
weeks ago, and I said, you know what, I think maybe that painting should just go back to my studio. Mm -hmm. And a guy from the military came in and said, I've got to have that painting. And I was just ready to put my foot through it or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, so you never know. So it will resonate with yeah. somebody. Mm -hmm. You could paint a really highly detailed toaster. You know what I mean? With burnt toast coming out of it. Yeah. And it's somebody's going to see that and say, how did you know I love toasters that much? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so you never know. So let toaster collect. <laughs> exactly. So we shouldn't worry about it. You know what I mean? As much as we'd like to have that bug in the painting and hear what they're saying, you know, but I, we need to detach and you know what? You're right. You guys go sell it. Well, you need to be true to yourselves. You know, mm -hmm. you need to walk your own paths and then we'll take care of the rest of that. You know, we, we never worry about it. You know, right. I know it's got to be hard for you guys because you're putting so much of your heart and soul into your work and you want to be, you want it to work and be validated, you know? You, you take it kind of personal sometimes. And what did I do wrong? What was it? Yeah. Was it the palette? Was it the subject? Yeah. And you try mm -hmm. to second guess yourself. Exactly. And, and try right. to figure out what, what did I do wrong? And you take it a little personal. Yeah, that, see what happens when you stick art. your neck out yeah. like that? You know, yeah. you're taking that yeah. chance and... Yeah, and that kills art. Second guessing yourself, I think kills it. You gotta, you gotta really believe in what you're doing and just go for it, mm -hmm. you know? Make it work. So let's talk about music. Music's a great topic for this, this particular roundtable. Um, we have you know four musicians here and Tim. Uh, other than Tim, uh, I'm a drummer. He's a drummer. Uh, he's an egg shaker. Percussionist. Percussionist. I'm an egg beater. Egg, egg man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you love music. Oh, you're like all over music, and you got to have music like it's music's like in your you know continual part of your environment, right? I so I, I would like to know what kind of music that you guys most are, are excited by, what you listen to in your studios, and how music impacts your lives and your work. Who wants to go first? I have Dueb go first. Yes. Dueb plays cello in the morning. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but it doesn't give me the inspiration when I paint. Mm. So, so. So you I'm, told me, well, sometimes you don't even listen to music when you paint because it's too no, distracting. There is some periods yeah. where I, I need absolutely music. Sometimes it's that type of music. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I hate to have music because I, I want the silence and nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, and. Uh, and I prefer to, to, to pay that night because there is no phone, no, so you are involved in your, mm -hmm. in your painting. But no interruptions. So the, the music, yeah, sometimes helps and sometimes doesn't help. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to music, is it always classical music or do you listen to other no, types no, of music? No, no, so some jazz or like other that. stuff, right. except rap. You don't like rap music? I know. Okay. I cannot hear. I don't yeah. know. I think you're here. <laughs> me, me either. I can't do it. It's always the same. I try. I try not to be, um, you know, judgmental about any mm -hmm. kind of music because you know the history of music's been full of people being judgmental about it. You know, like our parents hating mm -hmm. the stuff we were doing, vice versa. But it's really hard for me to be keep an open mind to most of yes. that stuff. <laughs> you know, what you hear in the radio. So, Pat, you're. Uh, what, what's what's playing in your studio I, and I what, echo, are you finding new music and I you, echo your sentiment because I like silence, mm -hmm. just quiet. I don't like noise. I don't like, I like just quiet. I think that maybe stems back from like my days of like art school and stuff. I lived with like eight hundred people in a studio apartment. Mm -hmm. I would wait till everybody would go to bed before I started to work, so I would just have the nice quiet through the night, uh, and I'd work till the wee hours. And yeah, but look at your paintings, they're so peaceful. I mean, uh, right? I mean, they look quiet. Well, see then, if I'm doing a figurative, I, I've always gravitated to, to Sarah Brightman. When I listen to Sarah Brightman, 
if a figurative is on my easel, Sarah Brightman is in my head. Because I love the idea of taking that sound and putting it into an expression or a face or something. And the gracefulness and the delicateness and the, you know, the, the whole thing about it. But then there's um, deadlines. And I know when I really come under the deadline and it's like this, it's time, there's, there is, because there is no time, I will go directly to like speed metal and I'll crack it up in the studio as loud as I can and I can't think about like anything else. It, it puts me in that, you know, so I, I have to depict where I want to go by the music. <laughs> it's interesting, is that much of an influence on yeah, your, your yeah. approach? Wow. But typically silence is the flavor of the day. Prefer, yeah. uh -huh. Scott? I, I listen to everything. Um, I do listen to a lot of oldies because uh, you know, being a close friend of Gary Puckett and Gary Lewis and a lot of the people from that era, um, I've, I've been exposed to their music a lot. So I, I listen to that quite often until one of my other employees goes over and changes the Pandora station. And every once in a while, Alexa will put rap or something on. And that doesn't usually last very long. But um, I listen to a lot of stuff that's, um, that's new, that I like. Um, but I'm all over the board, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it's old school rock and roll and every once in a while I'll listen to some classical things if I just, it's been a long day and I want to mellow out a little bit, but mm -hmm. almost always have music and uh, when it's quiet, it almost seems too quiet because then I hear everything else, you know, the humming of an air compressor, or, you know, hum of a, a light above it and that bothers me. So I need that, Seriously, yeah. not a distraction, but just that background drone of noise and things like that, that um, gets me through the paintings. You've been incorporating musical instruments into your paintings mm -hmm. fairly recently. I know the first painting you did with a violin was maybe about four or five years ago, but they're more common now, pianos and... Yeah, violins yeah. and guitars. Guitars know. now, yeah. I'm going to do yeah. a drum piece, too. Because yeah, yeah. you've been asking me to do asking, a drum yeah. piece. Would it be cool for me to do like a, like a Black Beauty snare or something, you know, or a beautiful antique chrome snare drum or something? Yeah. Antique uh, uh, marching drum would be really cool. But, Pat, you're, you're, you know, you play music with your band, mm -hmm. Leather Wolf, and you guys go on a tour. I know mm -hmm. you tour Europe a lot. Yeah. Is it hard for you to, like, go back and forth between those two worlds? I'm in the studio working for, you know, a bunch of months, and then suddenly I'm on the road. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, it's creativity in a different fashion, uh, but, but it's uh, a nice departure sometimes from the, you know, just the direct you know, need for, for ongoing daily creativity in an art, uh, you know, in a painterly fashion to be able to go out and do it musically as well. And um, there's just something magnificent about going out with five other people and creating a machine live. And, and that's, that's, that, that it reinvigorates me as much as anything else. So well, you've been doing it a long time too. It's been doing it yeah. all my life, pretty, pretty much. Yeah. So uh, yeah. it's only down to a three, maybe four times a year at, at the most now. So it's nice little breaks that come up a couple times a year that you know get the opportunity. You got it balanced pretty well. It's yeah. uh, it's very reinvigorating. Do I've just finished a CD, twenty three pieces for mm -hmm. cello and piano 
Yeah, it's a great CD. Well done. Class and classical, some pop music and uh, contemporary yeah. stuff. That's fun. It's really good. Yeah, it's a great CD. Who's the pianist? What was his name? A friend of mine who is from uh, uh, Uruguay. Uruguay. Uh -huh. And we did uh, all the arrangement together to do mm -hmm. only small pieces. Uh -huh. Short. Mm -hmm. Two two minutes, mm -hmm. three minutes maximum. So yeah. so people who doesn't because classical it, it's uh, boring after. Uh, one movement, two this is a classical music. Classical music is boring. So, and we are working on another thing, more uh, with the battery, with drum, oh, the drums, with, uh -huh. with yeah. uh, uh, um, more, more. Uh, oh, nice. Richer, rich, yeah. I don't uh -huh. know. Oh, that's so, nice. We'll see. And Tim, I don't know where we start with you, dude. You're wow. like, you know, I, music I, is like swirling around your, it is. your I, world. Yeah. Again, like Scott, I think the quieter. It is the more distracted I am. I'm picking up on no weird things like, what, what, is that noise? You know, it's like, are those the people next door? What's going on here? So, no, it is, music is a driving force, and uh, like yourself as well. Some of the older stuff, you know, nothing brings you back like an old song. Like, you can remember, it's the timeline of your life. Like, you remember what year that song came out because you're a junior in high school or college or whatever it may be. You know, it's such a throwback. But what's wonderful is the Pandoras and, and Sirius, you know, and satellite radio and, and podcasts and set list. Uh, you venture into so many different things now, you know, jam bands and things. Before, remember, you're playing in your studio and you're flipping an album, yeah. you know, and every 40 minutes and, you know, you got to flip that album or it's skipping or... Or the A track or the A track. in the middle of a song. In the middle of a song <laughs> to go to another track. I mean, but that's what it was, you know. So uh, now you set up a set list and you're you're going. So I think that reflects into the paintings as well. It is often that people say, you know, oh, it looks like your paintings are music. Mm -hmm. They almost do you have musical notes in here? It looks like you're drawing. Or you know, I do throw a lot of lyrics mm -hmm. uh, right. of songs, and I'll even download lyrics of different songs and put them in there because I find them interesting. Or I'll rewind what I just heard, and wow, that's really really cool. So I'll add those, and they're wonderful design elements because it it creates the curiosity from the viewer to view this painting like wow I think I recognize is that a song and and to see that reaction and to see them interacting with a painting uh, to me that's rewarding to me that's a successful painting uh, not whether it sells or not the fact that the, the it causes a reaction even if it's negative mm -hmm. they're interacting with a painting that you did which is which is awesome so it's it's usually loud um, it's thumping or I'll even have sometimes where something like like Tony Duncan you know with some native flute going it depends on what the content is that I'm painting uh, Tony Duncan's the uh, Native American that comes and performs that we saw yeah and he's yeah. in the video as yeah. well so he's, he's really great 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 uh, dancer and flutist right uh -huh. yeah so uh, so so sometimes I depict certain themes in the painting that I'm listening to even old throwback Bob Wells, you know, Texas Swing, kind of cool stuff like that, you know? Uh, just uh, old vintage uh, sounds. It, it's amazing, you go on YouTube Red or whatever, and you could type in saloon piano music, you know, and it goes on for hours of just whatever you pick. It's like, wow, it's, it, the, the library is just insane and, and beautiful at this point. Now you can just pick up anything. But I find myself going back to the old classics. What about the Rolling Stones? I see you paint the oh, Rolling big Stones time. logos. You know what? A lot. Some of the some of the older Stones, like Beggar's Banquet, Let It yeah. Be. Those albums are just, you know, Sweet Virginia. When they really went into the Southern, like kind of uh, uh, yeah. uh, American kind American, of twang, yeah. uh -huh. kind of they really, it's, and they're so founded on the blues. Yeah. And I don't think they could get enough of the blues. Yeah. You know, like all these rockers. Mm -hmm. You know, and so you dive deep in some of these 
old Led Zeppelin albums or whatever, and say, wow, these, and you think about how old were these guys when they're playing this stuff? And that's cutting edge, you know, and it's like, it's, music is, it's, it's, it's the foundation yeah. of every one of my paintings. Yeah. Pat Metheny said he thought music is something that snuck over from the other side. It's not there supposed to be in this world. It's something that was, you know... Boy, and that, yeah. you put on Pat Metheny, <laughs> off-ramp, or yeah. uh, First Circle, or Inner Circle, or As Falls Wichita, So Falls Wichita Falls, Falls. Yeah. you put on those albums, and you're, and that's a different painting. Yeah. You know, it's a different painting than a Sinatra painting, or, yeah. whatever, or an Elvis, or whatever it may be. It totally reflects. I'll tell you an interesting story about Pat Metheny. I met his parents. I was on a, a van to the airport, leaving a hotel, and uh, I saw him out in the parking lot. We pulled up to a hotel. And was, Where is this? It was in Texas. Right. He was performing, I think, at North Texas, maybe. Or maybe yeah, Lyle Mays, yeah. the pianist. Yeah, yeah, yeah was from North there, Texas. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I see him out in the, in the parking lot, and I say to my associates with me, I go, man, that's Pat Metheny. He's like, I was like, wow, that guy's like one of the greatest guitarists in the world, you know? And he didn't know who he was, and then I'm just going on, and we drove away. He got in a different van, went, you know, went someplace else, and I'm going on and on. Like, Pat Metheny's like one of the greatest guitar players. I mean, when he plays, his melodies sound like they're being improvised. When he improvises, it sounds like he wrote it. He's just like, he's got his own tone. He's just like this, he's a genius guitar player. And I said, well, what a bummer that I couldn't get on the van. I could have talked to him. And this couple behind me goes, well, we're his parents. Whoa. <laughs> what want to know? <laughs> so I spent like 45 minutes just grilling them. They probably were so unhappy they told me that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Done. But anyway, the most interesting thing they told me is that he was not permitted to play guitar. It's kind of like your situation, to it, very similar to your situation, where your father said you could not be an artist. You know, he, he forbade you for being a painter. Duet, would you become a great painter if your father said you couldn't be a painter? Yeah. And who knows? Know. You know? <laughs> but it's interesting to have that sort of you know drive suppressed by your parents and then finally get to the point where you're able to do it and you just revolutionize the instrument, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about your five, I'm gonna limit to five most influential artists or the artists that you admire the most in all of the history wow. of art. You gotta give me your top five. Take a minute and think about it if you want. I know probably not. They don't have to be in any order. Just give me your top five. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Norman Rockwell was one. Why? Um, because of the stories he told, you know, with the pieces. Just looking at it, you knew what it was all about. You know, just it told you so much. Uh, he was one. Uh, Maxfield Parrish was nice. another one. Why? Because of, um, I studied the glazing. I had a couple, couple books on the glazing techniques that he did. Do you and use it, a lot of glazing in your work? I do, yeah. yeah. Especially when I'm doing uh, foliage and things like that. Uh-huh. Glazing, and, of course, if our listeners don't know, is the layering of translucent pigments mm-hmm. in painting. And it just, it added so much more life to when I painted trees against the sky or something like that. So, And then other artists like um, Bader, a photorealist, um, Who, Doug Webb. Who's the artist? Um, Bader. John Bader. John Bader. I, John Bader. Before, but I don't know his work. Well, John Bader and Ralph Goings, mm-hmm. they were photorealists that painted um, amazing photorealistic pieces. A lot of them were diner scenes. Like Ralph Goings was um, a lot of like settings of ketchup and a napkin and salt and pepper shaker and things like that. And then Doug Webb, just for the the uh, virtuosity of his detail. I mean, it was just insane. He would spend anywhere from eight to ten months on a single painting. Wow. And I would look at him and just, my 
God, you can. I, it's it was hard to believe that you could do that with a paintbrush. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a couple of his shows when he was with the uh, Martin Lawrence Galleries, and I just I, the reaction that people gave him to his paintings is something that I wanted to share. I wanted people to look at my work and give me wows and things like that. But um, I've never gotten to the point where I've spent 10 months on it because you just can't make any money on it. I mean, what do you need to sell a painting for? You're going to spend a year on one painting. Yeah. You know, and, and he never really made any money. He was bankrupt and things like that. But he followed his his passion down the road. And then probably my last last one would be Richard Estes. Richard Estes. I was going to ask you about Estes. Yeah, Estes... Yeah. Um, I met him. I, 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 I went to a private party with a guy um, in New York City that's got a photorealistic gallery. He came out with a new book. And all the artists that were featured in the book were at the party. Uh, Louis Mizell is the guy's name. And the only thing I didn't like about Richard Estes was Richard Estes. Mm-hmm. Richard Estes was, to me, very pompous, arrogant, didn't want to spend the time talking to people. Mm-hmm which totally turned me off and gave me a totally different spin on his mm-hmm. art. Mm-hmm. And then when I met Ralph Goings, and he was like, oh, oh really? You really like my stuff? And he was like so humbled by the people that loved his work. And I knew at that point, that's the guy I wanted to be. I wanted to be the guy that really appreciates the people that come up and give you a compliment. And I want to spend as much time with them to, to talk about my work with them if that's what they want to hear, mm-hmm. rather than, oh, no, I don't have time for you kind of thing. You know, yeah. I want to be that pompous artist. Yeah, yeah. Nice to be inspired both in the artwork and in the demeanor of the artist. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Tim? Big, huge Maxfield Parrish fan. Yeah, I know. You're really into Maxfield Parrish. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, just, I think he was, uh, never seemed to get the props of something, right? I mean, outside yeah. of all the magazines or whatever, it's not like yeah. he's in the front of cover of a history book, any art history books, no. you know? But I mean, talk about a style that was just so isolated and unlike anything else. So, but he also liked scale. He painted really large, didn't he? Most oh yeah, big, and, and the yeah. detail—they almost look like they're photographs, and he silkscreened them of some sort. And I'm yeah. wondering, and I look at the the bark of the tree and the leaves and the sunset, and think, this is crazy. And, and this guy painted this. Colors but, are uh, but I um, obviously Cy Twombly. You know, I mean, if Twombly, yeah. if I could find a way to somehow ingest those paintings, I mean, they send me to the moon. I, we were just at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, uh, Rauschenberg. They had an opening for uh, Robert Rauschenberg. I saw those paintings and I was so moved, and I'm thinking. I wanted to get on top of a mountain and say, do you guys see these paintings? They're, they're just insane. Like the site What, what, was, it, what was it about Russian that, that appealed to you so much? The fact that nothing made sense and yet everything was in harmony with each other on every single one of these paintings. Mm-hmm. You know, How did he know to do that? And how do you know how to incorporate that into this painting? And where did he even find this to put into that painting? And yet everything is just, looks like an explosion of just a million different ideas and it's just abstract and it's open for our all interpretation to see this and go even further with the Twombly with the scribbles and the scales that he did and the small ones I, I can't get enough of what this artist did and so often people just walk by this room you know and and it is it's so extremely remedial that it's intense mm-hmm. I feel the same thing with Franz Klein and de Kooning and Motherwell these harsh blacks, 
you know, and it's a style that you could say, well, anybody can do that, but not any, I tried doing it and I can't do it. You know, I, I try to paint a Franz Klein or a Motherwell and, and there's just something about what, what these artists did. Maybe it's just placement or composition or flow that's just so dead nuts. Or maybe it's the, the intellect of the viewer that understands it. Stimulated by it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's the same with music. It can be a simple thing or an intense thing. All of us will have our own take on it. Mm -hmm. And that's the beautiful thing about it. I mean, here we have, we have four different extremes of art right here. Mm -hmm. You know, highly, highly colorful, heavily, you know, laid out and layered with, you know, with all the applications and the detail and the length and the technique and the energy. You know, it's really, really cool. And I, I feel that with these major abstract artists. So I don't know if that was four or five or whatever, but I... That's hard to give us only five though more. You got well, that was I mean, six. You got to take one back. Well, no, I, I piggybacked your Maxwell Parish. Okay, and okay, I, so you get an extra. Right, he's already on the list. And so. and Norman Rockwell. And it's funny because he gave us scenes and narratives, and we also could incorporate our own version of whatever was going on in those paintings too. You know what I mean? It was so cool. He laid it out for us. Uh, and yet they still were personal to us, you know, like, you, you could relate to it, you know. Isn't it sad that Rocco was dissed in his, his time by our artists, you know? He was just called a mere illustrator for his entire career, right. you know? Heartbreaking, you know, for that, that man. I mean, can't you just visualize his paintings right next to a Goya and a Rembrandt and a Cezanne in a museum in a hundred years, you know? And, you know, the guy was amazing. Dwev, can you boil it down to five? I saw them. Like say, See, I'm doing all this fine on purpose because it's, yeah, it's yeah, hard, I know, but I want you guys to big really zero it in, man. I mean, we can all do 50. The, the yeah. people who impress me are the, the impressionists, of course. Yeah, the impressionists. So, yeah. So, any, any one particular impressionist? Monet, Van Gogh. Uh, Van Gogh, course. yeah. I see a lot of those Van Gogh and work. Dali, because and I Dali, met him. And, right. uh, Cezanne, excuse me. Do I have met Dali in 1971? And uh, Picasso, because it was the turn. No, because especially I love Picasso. I, I hate the guy, how he, he lives. Yeah. I met you didn't him. like him as a person. La, yeah. yeah, as a person, but it was... Uh, I would say, when you make a turn uh, in the, the history, uh, you, yeah. uh, it was there, there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah. Okay, so we got Van Gogh, Picasso, Dali, Dali three and three. Oh, we can say, okay, I love uh, Kandinsky. Kandinsky, yes, yeah, of course. I, I love the abstract. So so yeah. uh -huh. In abstract, I have two, two guys I, I yeah. love. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, say, we, does, we forgot Renoir and Monet. Renoir and Monet. Uh, yeah, okay. Oh, Zawuki. Zawuki? Yeah. Really? Zawuki. Oh, yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah. don't know the artist Zawuki. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. abstract painter. Yeah, yeah, really, really yeah. strong work. Mm. Yeah. I love Kandinsky too. Kandinsky mm. was like, wow. Mm. You look at those paintings, you just can't, can't believe how exquisite they are. Mm. All right, Mr. Guyton, your turn. I think I've all, always, um, always gravitated to a very mutual, but probably head weighing more towards Michelangelo. And I think just due to the pain of creation of him, you know, sometimes, but also like, like you know, the agony and the ecstasy of the whole process, you know, mm -hmm. where you have such high highs and such low lows and in between is sometimes just like being drug around by a team of horses. And 
but in and through all of it is just the continual, you know, march of creation. And especially with um, Van Gogh would be another one as well. Um, you know, to think you do all that, you're as good as you are, but you're flanked by your contemporaries and, and maybe don't stand out as, you know, to me stood out more, but, you know, then it's a different story. To think you're only going to sell one painting right? to your brother, a two year yeah, brother, really which really doesn't, doesn't count. count. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, when we were in uh, Amsterdam to go into a five story museum that was one of my probably favorite places I've ever been in travel. Oh, the Van Gogh Museum. The Van Gogh Museum is just, oh, yeah. 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 just like, is awestruck. And so those two are usually at the top of my list. Um, uh, huge, obviously, uh, Gustav Klimt fan mm -hmm. uh, for the use of the metals and just the, the sheer, you know, the, the, the posi-negative space he would use, the, 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 the layout and design qualities that he had in his work was, were just incredible in the breakdown of things. And um, as Scott and I were talking earlier, you know, Vermeer is has been another one kind of top of my list I you know the emotion and the, the atmosphere and the detail just the 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 whole move of that that man's brush was insane so those would probably be my my big was that five or was that four um, and you know, I want to take Vermeer. Yeah, you, know, you can have Vermeer. Can I yeah, one of my other guys? Another, yeah, yeah, I want Vermeer in there too. Vermeer too, man. Yeah. Like, I forgot about it. Every, yeah, but you know, other guys. You know, like uh, Cavaggio is is like that's that's a whole other level of emotional smack in the face right there. You know, like that he'd probably round off the other end. Caravaggio, uh, he was a bad boy, you know. I mean, he had bounty on his head, and he was chased around by people that wanted to capture him, you know, and, and have him yeah. killed. Yeah. And he would go to, uh, you know, monasteries or churches, whatever, and he'd find a, a, a vicar or a, a cardinal or somebody would take him in, protect him, give him asylum, and then in exchange, he'd make a painting for him. <laughs> that yeah. was how he, that's yeah. how the painting survived. Have you ever been to Malta and seen the beheading of John the Baptist by Caravaggio? No. It's the only painting he signed, and it's a gigantic painting. It's huge. It is unbelievable. You gotta, if you ever get to Malta, it's yeah. St. John's Church, that. right in the middle of, of, uh, of Valletta. It's that's some serious drama that that man oh, brought. Yeah, I mean, yeah. just the, the, so, yeah, the painting is signed in the blood of John the Baptist pouring out of his neck. Yeah. Falls down to the floor and it's signed Caravaggio. Yeah. On the floor, only one he ever signed. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, I think we More, have time. Real quick, sir. Uh -huh. Your five top. Oh, my five? Yes. What do you got? Okay, let's see. I would have to say Albrecht Durer, uh, Toulouse Lautrec. I think uh, Toulouse Lautrec, in terms of his draftsmanship and his, his technique, was uh, just amazing. And his innovation of the process of lithography is, is, is uh, jaw dropping. Um, I love Degas. I think Degas was one of the greatest draftsmen mm -hmm. of all time. Yeah. His drawing technique is just amazing. John Singer Sargent. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen his watercolors? Mm -hmm. Sargent's watercolors. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, they're just they're they're just sick. Mm -hmm. And somebody could take you know white paper and watercolor and do the stuff that he could do with it. And then it's Picasso. Mm -hmm. I mean, Picasso just overshadows everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, he's 
his reach was so so spectacular and he was so innovative and constantly uh, you know moving the, the boundaries and expanding the, the whole idea where I was going to go I think it's um, great right now that we're in this time where um, you know we're bringing back these these things these fundamentals and these ideas because we've been a hundred years now of conceptualism you know it was 1917 when Duchamp did his first ready-made mm. you know the snow shovel and the urinal and now we've had a hundred years of that mm. you know and now it's uh, art's about ready to, to make that that turn I think mm -hmm. and I think when people look back at the art of the early 21st century and the late 20th century they're gonna see that that pendulum is coming back the other way now toward the things that really built the narrative of our history mm -hmm. and I, I, I sense it I know all you guys sense the same thing you know you guys have devoted your lives to it you're professionals who are bringing beauty and aesthetic uh, you know, glory back to the world again, enriching people's lives with your creations. So I want to talk uh, about one more thing, and it's a little sensitive, but I think it's 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 good to touch on. Um, Scott, uh, you were in a very severe motorcycle accident. Was it last year or the year before? Uh, 2016. 16, yeah. And Tim, you were in a very severe automobile accident, a rollover automobile accident. You guys had major, major um, problems, physical problems. I mean, like broken bones and shattered shoulders and I mean, serious stuff and you could have easily been killed. Dwight actually was shot. He was, he was loading frames in the car and, and there was a, a, a jewelry store robbery. A guy shot him, he shot him in the arm, you know. And his right was painting arm. Maybe he knows never painted again, wow, you know. That's why it's a good thing because it's why I am here. In States. Because you, you left, you wanted to get out of France, yeah. Yeah. You had to come to the U.S., yeah. yeah. No, yeah. there's any reason, yeah. but... Uh, I don't know, Pat, if you've had any, you know, life-threatening experiences. <laughs> but bloody fingers playing your bass for too long. <laughs> yeah. That's the picture. Yeah. 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 No, we bloody fingers. Uh, no. No, thank God. Thank God. But anyway, my, my, my point is, you know, Scott, I've seen a change in your work since this has taken place. I really have. I've seen your work become more poetic, I think, and, you know... I don't want to um, diminish your, your technical skill, which is, you know, off the chain. And I think a lot of your work initially was about, you know, being awestruck by your technique. You know, just having people look at your work and just go, wow, I mean, I can't believe somebody can paint like that. But now you're not, I don't think you're as focused on that aspect of your work. It's more like there's a, a poetry that's coming into your work. There's a sensitivity coming into your work. There's a, a delicacy, a painterly quality. Uh, and Tim, I don't know if you, if you feel like there's been any changes in your work since sure. this experience with you. Um, can you guys just talk about that a little bit? Because I think when any anytime anyone goes through a life-threatening experience and you realize how blessed you are to still be here, it's got to have some effect on what you're trying to say to the world and, and communicate to the world through your art. I think the parameters of my, my, my ideas of what the paintings needed to have prior to the accident, I... Maybe they don't show in the paintings, but I, I gave myself guidelines and certain certain boxes to check visually or to get done or use colors or whatever. I think since the accident, I've relinquished all those parameters and guidelines and rules, if you will, and I've learned more to just surrender and just have at it. Yes, there's a right and a wrong, but I'm not as concerned about the right and wrong of, of maybe the application or the end result, or, or you know what I mean? Uh, it's, pardon the pun, it's, it's much broader of a brush now. Whereas before, 
it really had to represent something or it had to follow some kind of protocol in regards to a formula or it works or the balance has to be just right and if I'm going to paint a headdress it needs to have the right anatomy and it has to look like a headdress. Now it's maybe it resembles a headdress. Maybe I incorporate a couple different views of a headdress in, you know, in terms of a two-dimensional piece or a really create abstract uh, uh, content uh, of, of like a dragonfly. Maybe it doesn't have to be such a precise dragonfly. Maybe it can have more of an insinuation of a dragonfly print. So much looser, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm pulling off the reins almost like, you know, instead of hanging on tight to the handlebars, you know what, ride a few miles and just, you know, let it go, you know, you know what I mean? You, you get that sometimes probably on the bike yeah. where you just put your hands down and there's something really liberating about it. Don't be so focused on the end result because the end result is more beautiful when it just happens rather than Scott having to fill in all the numbers yeah. when you paint, you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's a lot easier when, you know, don't worry about the numbers, yeah. you know, so to speak. Do you think you would have gotten to that place it, it might have taken me another 10, 15 years mm -hmm. to eventually get to that. Yeah. yeah. You know, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, maybe you need that uh, wake-up call. Mm -hmm. uh, say, hey, maybe you, you need to look at things different. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't just end in paintings. I mean, you look at, you look at your, you know, your children, life your friends, general. and yeah. life in general. Yeah. You have to, of course. Yeah. You, you, yeah. And so many more things are, are you kidding me? I used to worry about that. Yeah. Right. It, it's all yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have, did you have a, did, you, did your work change at all, you think, after you were? No, it changed my mind. It changed, it changed your mind? Yeah, uh -huh. so, so if you are in life, that's when you are lucky and, and, and you, you change, I changed my mind. Uh, if I want to get something, I will, I will succeed. Mm. You understand what, mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I you, so, yeah. you, you are able to do everything you want in right. your life. It just, you have to, to, you just to, have to, decide to work you on yourself. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. What about you, Scott? Uh, well, for me, I mean, it was um, it was a wake-up call, you know, laying laying in the middle of a road and not realizing how, not knowing how uh, how injured you were, and yeah. if you, you were looking up at the sky, looking at know? this, you know, sky, yeah. this beautiful day, and I knew I I hurt myself really bad mm -hmm. on my in my right arm. I couldn't even feel it, and um, not knowing if I'd ever be able to paint again. Which was one of the first things that I thought about. I mean, because that's been my life for so long, you know, and I spend so many hours in the week doing that. And it has changed my art because, you know, for, for a long time I've been I've been painting for everybody else. I've been painting and sometimes almost almost feeling like a factory. You know, knowing that I've got some big shows coming up or I got a you know, a deadline for Harley Davidson or I've got some VIPs coming up and I've got to get this many paintings done and I'm trying to punch through them and you know maybe not as much thought has gone into those images because I needed product and the whole process of coming up with great images and and composition takes more than that you know you do you don't want to just whip out stuff just whip out things so the way it's changed my work is that I am I'm painting more for myself like you say, you think my paintings are a little more poetic because I'm trying to make more of statements with the images, you know, make them more romantic, like the violin piece I just did, the, the love song, you know, just with, you know, little you know, things on there, like the, uh, the, the petals sprinkled on the top of the violin and the music there and the heart, make people really think about what they're looking at rather than just 
just paint, put it on the canvas, and go to the next one. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's changed. It's changed my attitude mm-hmm. in my head, just like Duev said. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's changed um, the way I think about my art, and you realize that life is short, mm-hmm. and there's so many paintings that I've dreamed about painting that if that was the end of my painting days, I haven't painted all those yet. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm squeezing those ones in that I've thought about for years, those ideas in my mind. Right. I'm squeezing those in now because I need to see what they look like. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's how it's changed me. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think I speak for us all when I say we're very blessed. All of us in this room are very blessed to be here. We have uh, a wonderful opportunity to travel all over the world, meet amazing people who love art, who love to collect art, and appreciate all the work that all of you do, and the walk that you've all walked, which is incredible. You know, you guys are all world-class, successful artists who have persevered through all sorts of hardships and challenges and people uh, not wanting to uh, assign value to what you do, you know, in the real world, the practical world, and you've achieved all of that, you know, overcome those obstacles and achieved excellence. And now we have a situation where we're working together, bringing great works of art to people who enjoy them for the rest of their lives every day. And um, sometimes I have to pinch myself, you know, and just say we're in this in this year's wonderful yeah. world where we're, we're doing all these great things and, and bringing joy to people's lives. And we're so blessed to be able to do all this. So thanks for taking the time to, to be here and share your thoughts. And so if you're not familiar with the work of Dwev or Tim Yankee or Patrick Guyton, or Scott Jacobs. You can always check out their work on the Parkwest website, parkwestgallery.com, or enjoy their work on any of our wonderful cruise ship auctions all over the world. Thanks, guys, for being here. Thank you for listening to Parkwest Galleries Behind the Artist. To learn more about Parkwest Gallery's family of artists, visit us online at parkwestgallery.com or follow us on social media. You can subscribe to Behind the Artist on your favourite podcast app and be sure to rate and review the podcast on iTunes.